The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Looking at James chapter 4, reading verses 13 through 17, hear God's word. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Father, we ask for you to open our eyes to your word. Speak to us, we pray, how we need you to give us understanding and to work your transformational power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The city of Austin, Texas, is named after Stephen Austin, a famous figure in Texas history who founded a colony of settlers in part of the area that would later become Texas. Stephen Austin was a very busy and energetic man with big plans, as you can imagine. In 1834, he was acting as an agent of the Mexican government, fulfilling various uh, requirements for his colony to be established, and he had various problems that he needed to have resolved, and so he made a hurried trip to Mexico City to sort out things with government officials there. What ended up happening was not in his plans. Because of certain conflicts and problems with the government, he ended up being thrown in prison. And he wasn't just in prison for a few days. No, he ended up languishing there for over a year until he was finally released. You can be sure that that was not how Stephen Austin had planned to spend that year of his life. We all have plans, big plans, important plans, and of course, everyday little plans. We all have an agenda for our lives, even if that agenda may be very ordinary. One of the standing jokes is... uh, What kind of plans do you sometimes meditate on while the preacher preaches? Sometimes you're thinking about your plans for the afternoon or your plans for the week to come. Some people are more energetic and organized in their plans. Others are more laid back and flexible. But no matter what may be your particular personality or style, God tells us something very plainly in our scripture text. You and I must submit our daily lives to God. We must yield our plans and our agenda for our lives to God and to his sovereign will. That's what James tells us here. We must learn more and more our complete dependence on our God and in active trust in Jesus Christ, we must learn to live our lives 
for him and for his glory. And we need to really learn to say and to mean it, what James says in verse 15, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. What do we learn from what James tells us here? Our first point is this, the pitfall of having an agenda apart from acknowledging God's will. The pitfall of having an agenda apart from acknowledging God's will. We see this in verses 13 and 14, this planning without regard to God's will. James calls his listeners to hear him. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He's setting forth this hypothetical, pretty typical business plan in the ancient world that someone would be going somewhere to do business. And actually, it's not the plans that he condemns. It's not even the business that he condemns. He's not condemning that. He's exhorting the people about what we see here in this underlying attitude of heart, what we might say is a worldly self-confidence that doesn't regard dependence upon God. This is a pitfall we all have to watch out for. I don't know what kind of an agenda you tend to keep for your life or how you make your plans. There's differences, of course, in the way we all do that. Some of you are probably more task-oriented individuals who love to have your to-do list and check off those items, and you've got a to-do list a mile long, and you're always working on it. Of course, it just keeps getting longer as you go. And some of you might be more comfort-oriented in your agenda for your life. You, you would be said to have more a not-to-do list. Uh, you, you know, there are things that you are trying to get away from. You want to escape those things, maybe. Or maybe you're a person who's more relationship-oriented, and your agenda is about relationships and being with others and uh, spending time with them. Or maybe you're someone whose plans and agenda involve security in your life. And you make money and you prepare and you kind of have plans for every possible exigency. Or maybe it's a success-oriented agenda in your life. That you have big plans for your life. And you're going to do things and accomplish things. I think that's more the kind of person James is speaking to here. But of course, all these agendas fall under the exhortation of God's word. God's word. Or maybe you're a, a pleasure-oriented planner. And what you look is for excitement, pleasure, having fun of some kind, satisfying yourself. Of course, none of those are essentially right or wrong. They're all different aspects of the way we all approach life. Maybe one or two of those apply more particularly to to you. But what does James say to us? He's saying whatever your particular personality, you must not have plans apart from an acknowledgement of your dependence on God and an orientation to him. The big problem here is not actively acknowledging and depending on God. In other words, ordering our days without an orientation around the Lord in our hearts. And James in verses 13 and 14 gives two supporting reasons for why we must beware of this pitfall. He says in the beginning of verse 14, first of all, that life is uncertain why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Life is uncertain for all of us, and, and we know that, but do we really acknowledge that and live in light of that? 
One evening this week, I had plans for the evening. You know, they weren't real big plans or anything, but I ended up under the kitchen sink, you know, fixing a dripping pipe. That wasn't part of my agenda for that night. We made plans six months ago to go out to my father's World War II 65th Divisional Reunion out in Chicago this week, the final Timberwolf reunion of the division, the last one. And because of health reasons involving my dad, we're not going out there. And those are plans that we had made months ago. You and I must realize that our lives are uncertain, at least in regard to our knowledge and our control. And of course, it's not so with the Lord. But then the other supporting reason James gives is at the end of verse 14, and it's the reason that life is short. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I'm sometimes out early in the morning with our dog, and the field across from our street has some low spots, and I'll see this a beautiful mist out there, and then I'll turn around, and before I know it, it's gone. It just disappears like that. Job was very much aware of this reality when he suffered so much, and he became very aware of it. In Job 7, verse 6, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. You know, you ever see that demonstration of the ancient weaving techniques, and the shuttle is passed back and forth real fast. It's almost thrown. It just flies. And Job's saying, My life is like that shuttle just flying by. Or he says in chapter 9, My days are swifter than a runner. They skim past like boats of papyrus. Maybe some of you kids like to go out to a little creek and put a stick or a little boat in the creek and race down and see it go by. And sometimes those boats can really fly if the creek is going fast. And Job is saying, that's my life. It just goes. It's like a little boat. David acknowledged the truth. He said, my days are like an evening shadow. In Psalm 103, he says, as for man, his days are like grass. That's a familiar imagery. Of course, in the Northeast here, we're used to green grass, although this summer's been tough on the grass. It's gotten dry at times. But in that arid Palestinian climate, the grass would come when, it, when there was a rain, it would grow green, and then quickly it would go brown again. And David says, that's what our lives are like. They're short. Mike Mason, who wrote The Mystery of Marriage, says it this way. He says, our lives are curly cues of fire, cut briefly in the dark with a glowing stick. Reminds me of, you know, how kids, when you celebrate July 4th and you go out there with those uh, sparklers, and sometimes you wave them around and you write your name in the, in the dark sky, and you can kind of see the outline of your name, you know, play, your eyes play tricks on you, you can kind of see the remaining there. And Mike Mason is saying, that's what our lives are like, they're short. And so the point that James makes here, the uncertainty of life, the shortness of life, should help us not fall into this pitfall of maintaining our plans and our agenda for our lives apart from a real and heartfelt acknowledgement of God's will. And it should teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, as the psalm says. So don't separate your life and your plans from active dependence upon God and submission to his will. And really, uh, the most primary application of this first point is to raise the question to all of us, have you fundamentally submitted your life to God through Christ, through repentance and faith? Have you come to Christ Or are you living independently of him? You might acknowledge him in some small ways. You might even come to church. 
You might know that there's a God in some way, but have you turned to Jesus Christ as your Lord and given him your life and and said, I repent of my sin and turn from my independent ways and I trust Jesus and his cross to cleanse me of my sin. That is the most basic and initial step of doing what James calls us to do here. And if you haven't done that, there's no way that you're going to live your daily life with a sense of submission to God. There needs to be that initial coming to Christ. And maybe you're holding Jesus Christ at arm's length in your life and saying, I know that you're there. Maybe someday I'll think about those things. First, I want to have fun. First, I want to fulfill certain things that I want to do on my own. And then maybe when I'm old, I'll look to you. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't know if you'll be alive on this earth tomorrow. I urge you, go to Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Give him your life. And then begin to learn the daily submission of your life to him. Secondly, then, we come to the real root of what James is saying in verse 15. What it means to yield our agenda to God. What it means to yield our agenda to God. James says, instead, in other words, instead of this non-regard for God, instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Now here we see this reference to the Lord's will. Scripture uses the Lord's will, that phrase, in two ways. One is the way James has it here, referring to the sovereign will of God, his purposes, his plans that that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And then the other use is God's revealed will. Scripture also speaks about God's will for us in terms of his man's, what, how he wills for us to live, all the exhortations that the Bible has about living as Christ would have us to live. But here we see that he's encouraging us, he's commanding us to say and to mean it, if the Lord wills, according to his sovereign wills. This doesn't mean that we aren't to plan In fact, Proverbs 16.9 says, "In in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. In other words, you make your plans, that's fine, but know that they're dependent on the Lord's sovereign will. So what James is exhorting us to here is planning and living with a humble submission to God's sovereign, loving will for us. And it's, it's a key aspect of what our daily attitude should be. The Puritans use the Latin phrase, Deo volente, if God wills. They would often write that phrase. The Methodists took up that phrase and they abbreviated it to D period, V period. And they, on their advertisements for meetings and events and the placards they produce would have, you know, something like Tuesday evening prayer meeting or evangelism service. And then at the bottom, it would be DV, meaning to all those who understood that, if the Lord wills. They are very particular in making sure that they express that. Now, we don't always have to say if the Lord's wills to every time we talk about our plans. It can become just a cliche. It can become mere formalism if we do that. I don't even advise that. Scripture doesn't even do that. The writers of Scripture don't always say it in that way, although you'll often find Paul, for example, saying, I plan to come to you if the Lord wills. We find that again and again. But it should be the attitude of our hearts. And by the way, sometimes we ought to say it. It's good to sometimes verbally acknowledge that. It reminds us that we are dependent on the Lord. 
We must plan, but it is unwise to do so without regard to God's sovereign will. Well, how do you know under this point then? How do, how do I know if my plans are yielded to God? Let's look at three ways that we can know that. One way is this. If bad fruit comes out when my agenda is thwarted, it's not yielded to God. If bad fruit comes out when my plans aren't fulfilled, then that's evidence they're not yielded to God. Here James picks up on this, this attitude of heart of those who are going around and, and planning their business. And he says in verse 16, as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. He's saying, it's the arrogance of your heart that you presume that you will do these things and there's no acknowledgement of God's sovereign will over your life. You've forgotten that. That's one kind of bad fruit that can come out. There are lots of bad fruits that can come out in terms of we all know what it's like when our agenda isn't fulfilled and maybe the sins of impatience or unkindness, sinful anger, short temper with those around us, all those kinds of things come out very easily and they indicate to us something of where our hearts are, don't they? It's interesting that God's school of character building for us is by and large in the daily routine things of life. And usually our lives are pretty routine, but this is a very rich school for God to teach us what James is speaking about here. Although sometimes God is at work in bringing us through some difficult issue of life. Maybe for you, the application of this text this morning has to do with a large life issue. Maybe a career issue or something involving your job. Maybe it's about marriage or education or your plans for your education. Maybe it's about a health issue in your life or children and what's happening in their lives. And the Lord would seek to teach you to trust in him. And so acknowledge God. Learn that when you see bad fruit, to turn your heart to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to yield my agenda to you. A second way we know is this. If I go about my life and plans with no sense of dependence upon God and his will. In other words, evaluate the attitude of your heart. If I go about my life and there's rarely any thinking, any sense of dependence on God in prayer, in trust in him, in the way my mind thinks about my life, Is there an acknowledgement and a resting in his good purposes for my life? Does that ever come to my mind? Do you actually mean what the confession said when we confessed our trust in God, that he upholds and rules our lives by his providence, and that we don't have doubt that he will provide whatever I need? Certainly food for thought. Peter talks about this. If you turn the page over to 1 Peter 3, and you see about Peter describing living a life that would please the Lord. And in verse 15, he talks about setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So he's talking about having your heart set apart to Christ And then he says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your 
good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So here they are living according to what we would say God's revealed will is, the good behavior, a transformed life as Jesus Christ works in their lives. But then in verse 17, note what he says there. He says, it is better if it is God's will. And there he's talking about the sovereign secret will of God, his plans for our lives. He says, it's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So he's saying, as you go about your life and seek to live for Christ, you need to be reminded that even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, this too is God's will for you. And this isn't talking about some kind of a stoic response of what will be, will be. The Christian gospel and doctrine is not this blind fatalism. No, it is trust in our sovereign loving, heavenly Father who cares for his flock. And the fact that we belong to him, we can trust in him. And that ought to come to our minds. It ought to be an encouragement to us when our plans go all astray and when suffering comes. We look at Matthew 10 where Jesus likewise is talking about persecution, suffering that might arrive, and he's encouraging his disciples in the light of that. And in Matthew 10 29, he speaks that familiar phrase, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. He takes a common experience. He's saying you go to the store, you go to the marketplace, and you get one of those two-for-one deals. You know, those are always good. You look two for the price of one. I always am not sure if you buy one, does that mean it's half price? Not necessarily. I'm not sure. You got to check into it. But what Jesus is saying, these are these cheap sparrows, two-for-one, special deal. But not one of them falls to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And so, even though cheap to buy and seemingly insignificant in this life, not one of them falls to the ground apart from God's will, bringing to mind this tremendous truth about the will of God. And so the conclusion Christ comes to in verse 30, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. If that's true for the sparrows, God numbers the hairs of your head. That's how much he cares for you. He knows intimately about you, even to the numbering of the hairs of your head. So, verse 31, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if that's true for sparrows, how much more for God's dearly loved children for whom Christ died? So don't be afraid. Trust in him. You see, that's the mindset that should animate us and fill us as we go about our lives. Jesus is not just teaching this in an abstract way as a philosopher, as like you put that in the philosophy books. No, he gave it to minister to his people in their daily lives, in the face of the fears of this life, the losses of this life, the sufferings of this life. And it clearly establishes the total sovereign control over life, and Jesus is using it with a pastoral intent as a shepherd of his sheep, encouraging, bringing hope, the extraordinary level of care and control by God, which ought to allay our fears no matter what may come. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I cultivating that kind of daily trust in God? Is that a part of my life? 
Maybe some of your kids began school this week, or you will this week, and you've got some worries about that. And, and maybe uh, someone was mean to you. Are you able to trust in the Lord? Or maybe the teacher you wanted to have is not the one you got, or you were separated from uh, the class that your best friend is in. Or maybe it's something about your job or your marriage or your home. Do you believe the promise of God? Are you trusting in the sovereign will of God and that he is with you no matter what may come? Okay, so how do I know if my daily life is yielded to God? Well, is there bad fruit when my plans fail? Then it's not. It needs to be more yielded to God. And of course, we're always working on this. We're always on the road to greater faith in Christ. Secondly, we saw this active sense of trust in God that more and more is to be the goal in our lives. But finally, the third way we would know that, if the focus of my priorities is exclusively on the things of this world, if the focus of my priorities is exclusively on the things of this world. Verse 17 of James brings in that that final word of our text that sometimes you wonder, how does that connect with what he just said? He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This is the classic text on what we would call sins of omission. You know, sins of commission are the normal kinds of sins we tend to confess. You know, if we get angry, we've committed a sin, we confess that to the Lord. You know, sins of commission, things that we do wrong. Sins of omission, things that we ought to do and we fail to do. It's more likely that we fail to confess those kinds of sins to the Lord. We don't even stop to think about that. But James is saying here, if you know what the good is and don't do it, it's a sin. And here, particularly, context is not living according to this idea. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Living as though this world is all there is. Reminds me of Matthew 7 when Jesus talks about the fact that we need food and clothing and all these things. The pagans run after these things. The way of the world is to focus exclusively on the things of this world. My house, it needs to be fixed up. I've got to get the car fixed. I've got to make money and do this and plan a little vacation maybe. And then there's food to prepare and the kids to take care of. And those are all right and good in their place. Jesus says, the pagans run after these things, and your father knows you need these things. But then he very powerfully says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. And that's so hard for us to do. It's so easy for us to be pressed into the mold of the world, to be pursuing exclusively worldly things. And the things of God just get pushed to the side. So if we're going to obey what James commands us here, to say if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that, we must evaluate our priorities. How frequently do we think about the kingdom of God and being used by Christ in some way? How frequently do I think about God using me as an instrument in the gospel in someone else's life? Do you ever pray for your neighbors and for your friends that God would use you in some way? Or that, does that just not come to your mind? Or maybe being involved in mercy ministry of some kind, whether it's the person next door or someone in the city, is there a mindset of serving others? How about the very difficult area of being the kind of person God wants me to be in terms of loving my enemies? 
the people who are the functional enemies in your life, the people whom God has put in your life some way, and they're difficult to love. And God calls you to be like Christ, showing forbearance, patience. Do you ever pray about those things? Or maybe it's your money and possessions and things that belong to the Lord, not just the the tithe and offering that we give, give, but our our whole life, all that we have is the Lord's. And is there an awareness of our stewardship of these things? Or, or maybe it's the area of simply husbands, loving your wives, wives, respecting husbands, children, obeying parents, those classic texts which call us to obedience in those very nitty-gritty areas of life. Is the focus of my priorities exclusively on the things of this world? We might ask, well, As we think about that, what are the kinds of things that get in the way and take God's place in my heart? Can be things that are outright sinful. We know there are things like that that we need to turn away from. But also, we need to think about things that are not necessarily wrong, but we let them push out the focus on God. Maybe it's our job. Now, a job is a good gift of God, and we ought to pursue it wholeheartedly, but it can encroach and become everything to us. Or maybe it's entertainment. You know, we are the culture of entertainment. There's a book out called Entertaining Yourself to Death. I think that's pretty much got it for our society now. We are entertaining ourselves to death. Maybe it's a hobby in your life or a sport involvement of some kind that just has taken over everything. Kids, maybe it's video games. I'm sure your parents have rules about those. But what if your parents would just let you play video games all you want? Would you just sit there all day long Maybe so. Now, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with those maybe in it to a way, but what about you older young folks, uh, texting and Facebook? Just to think about some of these areas that we spend our time on. Now, I, don't, I confess, I don't text or Facebook, so I don't know much about it, but I was reading an article about young people who had gone on a one-week media fast and, and how hard that was. I thought, wow, that must be hard. I hadn't even thought about what that would be like. But the whole point is they had given up Facebook and texting and all those kind of related things for a whole week. And just that was really hard. Maybe you need to do that if that's dominating your life. Again, these things are not necessarily wrong to a place. Maybe some of you older folks, it's TV. You know, and the TV is always on. What is it the average American watches some like 42 hours a week? Or maybe it's uh, always busy with the next home repair project. That's getting closer to home for me. I always have my list of home repair things that need to be done. Now, they may need to be done, but are they pushing out time to read the Bible, time to pray, time to serve others, time to seek God? We had some powerful testimonies at the missions roundup the other week. I wish all of you could have been here and hear what some of our young folks said about the impact of these short-term trips and how they came back utterly transformed because of this opportunity to be part of a team centered around Christ and his word and serving others sacrificially and how the testimonies were just God was at work in this experience, and it was a life-changing experience for some of our folks. Ephesians 5 puts it very well when we think about this. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We are in evil days. The Christian is always living in the midst of evil days. 
And so Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And there he's talking about the revealed will of God. He just talked about it a lot in chapters 4 and 5, how we ought to live for Christ. But he's saying, don't be foolish. Live as wise. And don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's the goal. Having our priority and our mind set on the things of God. Yes, we're called to live in this world and do our jobs faithfully. And yes, do so in the fullness of the Spirit, as wise, doing the Lord's will from your heart. Pastor Kent Hughes of the Wheaton Church tells it this way. However, that may be, one thing is for sure, he says, Deo Valente, if the Lord wills is to be the constant refrain of our hearts as we conduct the affairs of our lives. If God wills, must be written over students' plans, the choice of a life partner, future education, all everyday activities. Older people need to say from the heart, if God wills, I will spend my time this way. If God wills, my children will become this way. If God wills, I will take up this ministry. If God wills, I will wake up tomorrow. All of us should have this attitude of heart. You can be sure that when Stephen Austin planned his trip to Mexico City, he did not plan to spend a year in prison there. Now, I hope that no one here ends up in prison at any time soon or ever. But none of us knows what tomorrow may bring, do we? Our goal, and I hope you've heard the word of God this morning, Our goal must be to bring our daily lives, your daily life this week, with all its ordinariness, with all the little problems, with all the ups and downs, or maybe with the big thing this week. But our goal is to bring our daily lives more and more into submission to our loving Heavenly Father, trusting Him bowing before his lordship, seeking his grace every day. May that be your goal this week as you trust Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, you know the dullness of our heart. You know how weak we are. You know how we easily fall. Thank you that you've given us the treasure of Jesus Christ in these jars of clay. Thank you for the clear teaching from your word that you instruct us and guide us Forgive us for how we so fall short. And Lord, give us a new resolve and a new power, even this week, to live for you and to be able to say in the words of Scripture, if the Lord wills, and to mean it from our hearts. May you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.